G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Trailblazers. I'm Ricky Swanell. And this week, my guest very much meets the definition of our show title. Alexis Pritchard broke through barriers to become our first female Olympic boxer competing at London 2012. She went on to fight at two Commonwealth Games, winning bronze on the Gold Coast in 2018. But Lex is so much more than that, and I am so looking forward to this conversation. Alexis Pritchard, welcome to Trailblazers. Thank you so much, Ricky. It's so lovely to be here and chat with you. Right. I want to I go right back straight away and find out how you discovered boxing. <laughs> do you want the real version <laughs> yes of course i want the real version so there was a boy who i had a crush on uh, <laughs> i was working at a at a bar and i had this crush on this guy and he i went over to his house and he put some of his boxing wraps on my hands and i thought oh this is so fabulous i feel quite powerful with these things on um and I went home and looked up a boxing gym in the Yellow Pages because, you know, it would have been way too awkward if I'd shown up at his boxing gym. So I found my own boxing gym. Um, I called them and the answering machine said, hey, look, we're just far too busy to answer the phone. Come on down, try a class out. So I went the next day and I just fell in love with the fitness side of boxing. Um yeah, I'd also was in a probably in a stage where I was playing field hockey at the time and I just wasn't, I didn't feel like I was good enough and I was feeling like I was letting the team down um, and I just needed something for myself that I could just do on my own. And when I walked into that boxing gym, it didn't feel intimidating. It just felt quite welcoming. And I started, when I started hitting the bag, I was like, oh, this is me. <laughs> and I kept going back day after day after day. Yeah. How old were you? How old were you? I was nineteen. Old you working in a bar. Yeah. Yeah, I was 19. Um, and so it was only fitness. I went there for fitness and I did that for a few months and then started thinking, oh, well, I want to get better technically. So I paid Cameron Todd, who's now my husband, uh, to do one-on-ones. And we did one-on-ones for a while. And then he was like, come join the boxing team. I think you've got potential. Um, so hang on. So the boy in the bar was... Not Cameron. Cameron. No, not it was Cameron. not okay, Cameron. Right. It's a different boy. Okay. Well, different man, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what became of him? Yes, he is married with two kids. <laughs> <laughs> I um, actually recently I actually recently sent him a Facebook message and said hey look thanks for that this is where I've ended up um, yeah that is amazing and so Cam, Cam, Cameron Todd who's a boxing coach your husband was he at the gym that you happened to stumble across or yeah. yeah so that was Cam's gym that I walked into and he was the owner and head coach there and uh, he had a really inclusive gym here. There was a 12-year-old girl, Maria Motu, who is still boxing. She's a pro now. And she was sparring. And I was like, man, if this 12-year-old can get in the boxing gym and 
spa people, surely me at 19 could give it a go. So when Cam encouraged me to try the physical side of boxing out or the fighting side of boxing out, I was like, okay, let's try this. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever have these like sliding doors moments? Ever think what might have been if all of these different steps hadn't fallen as um, they did? I've had this conversation with Cam so many times. It's like, what, where would I have ended up if I didn't walk into your gym? So like, you know, for him as a coach, he's one of those coaches that uh, is so athletic centric. He goes out and bats for everyone. He sees potential in you before you actually see it yourself. And then he will do whatever he possibly can to get you to where he thinks you have the potential to be. Uh, if I had walked into a different boxing gym with a different coach who didn't think that way, I don't believe I would have ended up, you know, getting to Olympic Games or getting to Commonwealth Games and none of that stuff. And, you know, if I didn't... Um, well, if I wasn't on the sofa with that boy putting wraps around my hands, who knows? Like, it's just <laughs> insane to think all those little decisions and choices that you make and how it your path just deviates a degree or two. Yeah. And you can end Amazing. up in such a different place. Amazing. Do you do you find, and obviously you had a, a great experience, I go to a, a boxing gym and I certainly don't get in the ring or anything like that, but I found a trainer who tries to keep me in line and we. I don't want to, spa or anything like that but i i love the fitness too that some of the boxing gyms are really inclusive it kind of doesn't matter what you're there for um and they have uh, incredibly welcoming places yes some boxing gyms are absolutely welcoming um some feel a little bit intimidating i guess because there's lots of big testosterone people walking around and grunting and all the rest of it um but at the essence i think if you can navigate your way through that um boxing is for we're interesting people we know a lot of um ad adversity we come from many walks of life and i think the thing is especially like if you get into a boxing ring and spa for once or twice people give you respect in a boxing gym um definitely there's a respect there because they know that doing that is something completely out of people's comfort zones it's something interesting um but then there's still also many gyms that you go to that just know the power of of boxing of hitting a bag of like hitting your demons out um it's very cathartic so i would definitely encourage more women and girls to do it Totally. Um, we, as I said, you started and loved the fitness side, um, and then getting in and sparring. If you get for twelve year old girl, can do. It. Do you have to learn to get hit and to hit and be hit? Yes, I definitely did have to learn both of those things: how to hit somebody and how to get hit. Um, you know, I didn't grow up and have I had I had zero experience of contact in my life before that, um, and I also grew up in a house where you know girls need to be nice and use your inside voice not necessarily my mum but my grandma and like influences around me and you know just society in general um i was a little tomboy but i was would still like be like oh but i want to be a good girl so i've got to try and fit into this box as well um so that first day of sparring i found it harder to hit my opponent I when I did get hit for the very first time I cried. Um, my nose just kind of exploded and my the tears just 
came running out of my eyes and then Cam was like, right, you've got two choices here. At the end of the round, he's got, you've got two choices and I can't use swear words because Ricky said I can't use swear words. Um, but he was like, <laughs> choice one, um, get back, wipe your tears away and get back in that ring or get out and don't come back. And I was like, oh, okay, this is the real then. <laughs> this is the real deal. So I wiped my tears away and I got back in um, and never looked back after that. But it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of like self-reflection and really pushing yourself way, way out of your comfort zone to hit somebody and then also to learn to take a shot. Yeah. It's not something to have. Sorry, it's no. not something that I thought that I would ever do. <laughs> no, no. So were you, were you a sporty type though? Like you said, you've been playing hockey, but did, did you have sort of a natural aptitude for sport or you were had that tomboy side that you like that you liked running around and getting sweaty and, you know, getting mucky? Yeah, I like I was the tomboy. I lo- I loved getting sweaty and mucky. I did play a lot of sport. My mum encouraged me to move as much as I possibly could. I danced for eight for six or seven years, like ballet and tap and modern jazz and all that kind of stuff. Loved it. Also played netball and hockey and swimming and running and uh, didn't play football or cricket because um, I was still like, oh, those are the, that's what boys do, um, you know, as a, as a 10-year-old. Um, and then yeah. grew out of that, obviously, later on when I got into boxing. Um, but I just lo- I love, I like being physical and I like challenging myself physically, um, always have. Yeah, because you grew up in South Africa. You're South African born, yeah, and you moved here what as a as a teenager. I grew up in Cape Town, South Africa, and moved here as a 16 year old on the 24th of January 2000 with That's, my mum. Uh, just you and your mum. Just me and my mum and our four suitcases got dropped off at. Um, just at the, it's now the medical center, the medical hostel in um, in Grafton, and we yep. stayed there for three months in a single dorm room. Me and my mum shared a bed, um, shared the kitchen and bathroom and stuff with other people, and then my mum eventually got a full time role out in West Auckland, and we moved there um, to Tiaratu to to live there for a bit. She's a nurse, or was a nurse, or is a nurse. She was reti- she's retired. Yeah, I think once once a nurse, always a nurse. Um, so, why, so why did you move? Why why did why did your mum you and your mum move over to to New Zealand? Um, hmm. There's also two stories and two versions. So my version is that I, <laughs> as like my mum and I were, were my mum was ready for a change in my perspective, and I was ready for an adventure. And there were a few. I saw a newspaper ad in the in the in the paper and it said nurses wanted in Canada, England, Australia, and New Zealand. So my dad was in Canada. So that was a no, no. Um, England was too cold and miserable. So no, Australia was actually harder to get into than New Zealand. So New Zealand got us. Yeah. And we won the lottery by, by getting <laughs> you won guys. won the lottery. And so, yeah, so my mum worked, two jobs for about, I don't know, 14 or 15 months to save up enough money to get us over here and to have a little bit um, in savings just in case anything went wrong. And then we got out of here, out of South Africa. And I think, you know, she also wanted ultimately to a better life for me because um, it, it is tough. 
it is tough in South Africa. Yeah. Mm. And I'm really grateful uh, that she yeah, did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess because I, th- I think we look at South Africa and, and we see certainly the rugby side and the sports side mm. and and all of that and and the the Mandela years and and things, but it's a different reality, I presume, for a kid growing up in in, in that country that has so many wonderful mm. things, but has got so many problems. Yes, it, there are so many wonderful things about South Africa, and um, it is. It's where my roots are, you know. Uh, it it's taught me to be who I am. It's the resilience component, the the fighter component, the the reaching for a little bit more component of me all stems from growing up there. Um, but there are things that you're just like, man, wouldn't it be so be- so much better if this was in the reality? Um, you know, there's po- there's so much poverty around. There's people who knock on your door and ask for some bread, and that was a regular occurrence. Like, you know, come five o'clock, you know that some kid and their little sister would be knocking on your door asking for some food. Um, yeah, so there's lots of things that makes makes you sad to think about the way it is for the people on the ground, um, and to to succeed or to live uh, a healthy life is is tough. Um, it's not impossible, but it's a little definitely harder than it would be here. Yeah. Mm. We will take a quick break here uh, on SENZ Trailblazers. My guest is Olympic boxer Alexis Pritchard, who has already told us some amazing stories, and I feel like there's more to come. <laughs> Stay with us. We'll be back shortly. My guest on Trailblazers on SENZ is Olympic boxer Alexis Pritchard, who uh, started boxing because of a boy she met in a bar, um, moved here from South Africa as a 16-year-old with what sounds like a pretty amazing mum. Can you tell me a bit more about your mum? My mother is, yeah, she's incredible. She taught me how to be courageous, not through her words, but through her actions. She's taught me how to live joyfully and not follow society's rules. Um, It's been pretty awesome to be her daughter. And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated that. Um, When I was young, I guess I looked to other mums and I thought that they were doing it better. Um, But they really weren't. Like my mum is is brave and she's funny and she's caring and she's open she loves nature she absolutely loves nature she used to drag me up table mountain every sunday um for this walk and i'd start out complaining i'd complain all the way up until like about three quarters up and then i'd be like oh when you're at the top and then get excited about it. Um, but every Sunday when she'd wake me up, I'd be like, no, I just, I'd rather go to church. And she's like, no, walking up Table Mountain is our church. Let's go. <laughs> That's my mum, my mum, Cherie Pritchard. Yeah. She is a queen. Um, what did she think, though, when her daughter said, had taken up boxing and was getting kind of serious about this? My mother is a woman that knows that she brought up a stubborn child. So she said nothing in terms of, she didn't give me her personal opinion. She just supported me through the whole thing. 
she came to every tournament that she was allowed to come to because uh, the first year Cam let her come to tournaments, but then he started to notice how nervous I would get when I was fighting in Auckland and she was there. And then he banned her for two years. So he said to her, you're not allowed to come to any more fights because Lex gets too nervous. So no more fight, no more watching for you, Sheree. Um, and she listened to him. <laughs> um, and, you know, she traveled all over the world. She came to all the world championships. She was at the Commonwealth Games. She was at the Olympics. It was pretty awesome. Um, and what was the question again? Um, oh, gosh, I can't even remember, but it was a good one, obviously. <laughs> oh, what did she say about my boxing? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, so, about, yeah, about, yeah. So about five years into it, I discovered that she actually really did not like me boxing. She was doing, I had been interviewed for something and she was then interviewed on the side and she said, look, I really don't like my daughter boxing at all. I, I don't like watching her get hit in the face. It, it, it's not what I thought that she would be doing. I'd rather her be a model or a ballerina. Um, <laughs> but she never ever said that to my face and just continued to support, um, which I, I admire, I absolutely admire about about her. I think it's that um, it's a massive lesson in, in doing something non-judgmentally and also allowing your child to live their life and not mm. have them live your life. Yeah. So that was, I'm, I'm so impressed with my mother. So impressed. It sounds like your mum and my mum could probably have quite the conversation about uh, raising stubborn, independent only daughters. <laughs> I mean, talking about like when I was about three years old, and um, she'd made me something to do with peas for for breakfast or whatever. And I was about three, and I said, "No, thank you. I don't want this." And then at lunch, she brought it out again, and I was like, "Oh no, I'm not eating these peas. Thank you very much, lady." Um, dinner it came out again and i was like no nah, i'm not hungry mommy and she was like she tried it the next morning for breakfast because she was like this child needs to eat what she's given <laughs> and i was like nah not hungry <laughs> so she gave in first and chucked the peas out <laughs> and i think after that she knew that it was not a battle that she was ever gonna win yeah <laughs> <laughs> So you had you'd started competing. Your mum, you subsequently found that wasn't that happy, but you had obviously got quite good at this. And then mm -hmm. for the 2012 Olympics, boxing for the first time became available or a sport for women. Was there resistance to female boxers and women boxers competing at that level or in general? There definitely was resistance within New Zealand, even even before it got to that level. Um, I never felt it within my own gym, though. Um, Cam's gym and athletes and squad were equal. Uh, the boys fight the girls. The girls f not fight, I guess, spar with each other. It's the same. You're a, you're a boxer. You're not male or female. You're just one of his members, his team members. So inside the gym, that was never an issue. But, you know, going around to tournaments around the country, I there were some really interesting comments that I heard from coaches, even from coaches, not from parents mm. or other boxers, like from coaches. One boxer said to me, look, you know, despite you being a girl, you actually have a really good jab. And I was like, what, what does that mean? 
He's like, I don't actually train women because I don't think women should be boxing. Um, but you actually have an okay jab. I was like, thank you very much. So I, I had a few comments like that over over the years. Um, but I would also just be like, well, that's obviously your thing to deal with. And um, I'm really good at what I do. I really love what I do. Um, and I'm just going to keep showing you that we can do this thing. Um, mm. And I... So I didn't necessarily set out to prove them wrong. Um, it's just that I became one of the most technical boxers that the country has had, um, you know, at that level. And I was like, well, I'm going to show you guys. Like, we're going to get there, like, no matter what. Um, we're going to get there. And you're going to see how great women can be in a boxing ring. Yeah. Yeah. Get, getting there and getting to London, and there was a lot of interest, um, obviously, in it for for the first time. How did you kind of handle that? You were you weren't alone. There were there were two women boxers on that London twenty twelve team, but um, and then you both kind of embraced it because there was a lot of people. I remember your first the media conference, the pre the preview media conference, and there was a lot of people there. How did you handle that side of it? Oh, Ricky, I have realised I'm a big game player. You, you put me in front of a lot of people and I'm like, yep, I'm going to embrace this. Um, so like being in London, being in front of all the media, being in front of all those people, I sort of just rose to the occasion and embraced all of it. Um, really wasn't that nervous. I remember at the media conference, I actually took my phone out and took a photo of every of all the journalists. And I was like, I've got I to remember that. this moment. <laughs> um, but I, because I used to get more nervous fighting at a local tournament in Auckland than I did at the Olympics. Um, I, big game, bring it. Um, little game, I'm like, oh, my God, the people are watching. They know who I am. Um, whereas, you know, at, the at a big tournament with thousands watching, nobody knows who you really are. You're just there to, like, have fun. And um, that's what we did. In 2008, when it was announced that the London Olympics was going to happen, Cam was like, Lex, we're going. And I was like, don't be ridiculous ridiculous like i just laughed at him i was like are you insane and he's like no that's that's our goal we're going so this is the plan um and i was like later on i was like okay i'll just put my head down and do what you say and see where it gets us and yeah it got us all the way to the london olympics it was pretty awesome he had the vision i just had to do the work yeah <laughs> did you um I always remember my colleague Brenton Vanissaroy, he covered the boxing um in London and I and I he still says one of the greatest sporting occasions he's ever seen was was Katie Taylor's gold medal match. Did you um gold medal bout? Um mm -hmm. did you get the the sense of this is really big and there's this group of women from all over the world who are doing something really new for the first time and people embraced it? I absolutely did. Um we were Definitely, we knew the uh, enormity of the occasion and what we were part of. Uh, we had been fighting for a long time. I mean, women's boxing has been around since like the 1990s, um, early 1990s, even, like, even a little bit earlier than that in terms of the amateur boxing. Um, and we knew Katie's story. She's a legend. Even amongst us athletes, we were like, yeah. oh, my God. You know, she would, she'd walk past and I'd be like, oh, my God, that was Katie Taylor. Um, <laughs> and so we, so we knew what we were part of. We knew that we were making history um, and changing the landscape for the next generation, um, which was pretty impressive.
pretty cool to be a part of as well. Mm. My guest on Trailblazers is Alexis Pritchard. We'll be back with more with Lex and her storied boxing career shortly. You're listening to Trailblazers on SCNZ. I'm Ricky Swanell, and my guest is Olympic boxer Alexis Pritchard, who competed in the first ever Olympic women's boxing competition at London 2012. Lex, what was the, the it had been such a high? I'd imagine you were embracing this kind of new publicity. Um, mm. You'd done something that nobody else had done. Was there a crash after London, or was it like a oh, I want to do this again? Um, there was a bit of both. There was definitely that sort of massive come down from all the hype. And the hype had been building for weeks before. Um, so to come home after Olympic Games performing better than I thought I would um, and having a lot of media attention, publicity attention, all of that, and then coming home and, you know, you wake up and you have to eat your breakfast alone again. Nothing has really changed after you get home from the Olympics. Um, it was a little bit of adjustment. But I think it's not only the adjustment from having less attention. It's just that um, so much of your endorphins and serotonin, I think, is all used in those weeks that you're there with everything happening around you, um, that it takes it takes a time to transition back into normal life and it's a part of the package um you know i don't i don't think it only happens to athletes i think it happens to everybody it's part of that whole thing that you know we've been planning for years mm. whether you're a coach an athlete um one of the broadcasting team it is so much energy and thought that goes into that moment and then you come home and you're like what's next like you know, where to next? Like, how do I get back to where I got? And so there was definitely a low period there for me. Um, and I, I couldn't quite pinpoint what was it about. But Cam said to me, like, You're, there's something a little bit different about you here. I was sort of pushing away for independence as well. I wanted to be on my own a lot more. Um so as a, as a couple, we had to also figure that out because I was like, oh, I need space. Give me space. <laughs> I want to go out and party. Um, just give me some space. Um, so we did. Uh, you know, we, we worked it out. We figured it out. And I had some time away from the boxing gym, from time away from, from that life. And then when I was ready, I came back. Yeah. Yeah. Because what what was normal life? I mean, I'm sure you weren't making your millions being by being an Olympic boxer. Well, so there's a normal life in there, normal life in there too. So what was it like going back to the grind? Like yeah, so my normal life was a, a full time physiotherapist, um, a, a wife and daughter, uh, a pretty awesome friend as well. Um, that was normal life for me, and so just going back to that was. It did take a bit of getting used to. Like you know, I've always said, though, that I really appreciated the fact that I I did have to work because um, it gave me another aspect of who I was. Um, I I sometimes wonder about full time athletes, and I mean that's the way they do it, and they get paid to do it, so that's awesome. Mm. But it also I know for me it became all-consuming when I had like six weeks in Europe. It was just actually was a lot, and I preferred not having that in my life. Um, 
so coming home and making your breakfast by yourself and then going to work and just being stuck in traffic and all that normal stuff, I was like, where's my bus that picks me up at, uh, you know, five past 10? Where is, where are all the people that say good morning, Alexis? How are you? Um, like all of that stuff. It wasn't there. <laughs> no. You, so after London, you, you went to the, the Glasgow Com Games and then you missed out on, on Rio 2016 on, on qualifying. How, how hard was that? And then to then decide to push on a little bit longer? Um, 2016, not qualifying for the Rio Olympics. The fight that I lost was my best fight ever. It was the moment in boxing that I realized that I was bloody good. Uh, I fought the world number two, Yana from Azerbaijan, and it was the best fight that I've ever had. Um, it was She's a counterboxer, and it was just back and forth, back and forth. I remember smiling at one point in the fight, and at the end of the fight, uh, we thought we had done enough, and they thought that they hadn't, um, but she went on to win. Um, but in that moment, I was like, this is the moment that I have been working towards my whole boxing career just that deep understanding and knowing that i was good enough that was the moment that loss was the moment that i realized that i was good enough um and the new zealand team actually because i was going to retire i thought i was going to retire or i don't know what was going on there but they gave me a massive haka the aussies and the new zealand girls actually the aussie girls learned the haka and they gave me a haka as i walked out um so it was actually a beautiful moment for me, uh, not making the Olympics. Didn't actually bother me that much because I was like, man, I know that I'm good enough. And I, I, I did retire. I retired for a few months there. And then after they announced that the Commonwealth Games was going to have the weight division of 57 Ks, which is my original weight, at London and Glasgow, I fought at 60, which is actually upper weight. Um, there was not my um, preferred weight division. And so I decided to, to come back and see what it would be like to have to fight with that knowing, that deep knowing and self-belief. Like how different would a, a competition be just knowing those things about yourself as an athlete? Um, and I decided to measure my success differently in terms of it was like, could I fight with courage um, and joy and on my own terms? And that's what the goal was for the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Mm. It's, a, it's a great lesson in that what could, from the outside in, be seen as a failure, for want of a better term, not qualifying for Rio, became such a positive and was such a positive and so affirming for you. Yeah, it was an absolutely incredible moment for me. And I I often think like there's so many athletes that leave a sport never feeling that feeling. Um, it also sort of dawned on me that I could have thought that about myself earlier because that was my own, you know, it's our own choice to, to think that way. And, you know, especially after a loss, like, you'd think that you would be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm an absolute trash if I, I've just lost. But I, I thought, no, Lex, you're actually freaking good. Like, you're really good at this thing. Like, give yourself credit. Yeah. So it has become the best moment in my life. A lot of my failures have become the best moments of my life. You know, we, I definitely, I believe that the hardships and the failures and the mistakes are where we have the opportunity if we want to to learn something and take something from it and grow um 
and that's what I've always decided to do with with my moments of of not so amazing yeah and then you did you did get that moment and you came back for well you had your, your brief retirement and then you came back for Gold Coast and you and you came away with a bronze medal mm-hmm. was that that full stop that end that's kind of satisfying moment and that, that there was something tangible and physical for everything you'd put into the sport there was it was a nice moment the it was a really nice moment I I have a little medal that I call my rose gold medal, even though it's bronze, it looks rose gold to me. Um, And it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice piece of hardware. It's actually the only boxing memento that I have in my house. Um, But Ricky, I think for me, the most important thing was that I fought with courage. I fought um with enjoyment and i did it in my own way and those are the most important things i mean i had so much fun at that tournament uh, and i don't think it would have really mattered too much where i ended up um you know if it had been the first fight if i'd gone out after the first fight but still fighting incredibly well i would have probably still been satisfied the medal was cool it was a nice like little icing on the cake um but it wasn't the whole thing it definitely wasn't the whole thing and it wasn't my intention to go out there and 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 definitely bring home um a medal i mean it would have been we all want to um you know it's it's part of striving to to be good and to be great and to try and be better um but it wasn't the everything it was nice though it really was nice and yeah it did sort of put a nice little bow on it and be like right i'm done i did the thing i fought courageously i fought with enjoyment and i did it my way and that's enough now i can hang these gloves up but it took me like a year to do that and publicly i remember interviewing you straight after and you wouldn't use the r word (laughs) you couldn't say it no, I I also because you know what happened, Ricky. After twenty sixteen, somebody in the media retired me <gasps> without speaking to me. Um, it wasn't me, eh? No, no, I don't. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> it was somebody? I don't know who it was. Um, yeah. What they had done, saw was a post on Cam's Facebook page, not even talking about the R word, but just acknowledging my career. And they sort of took it to be Pritchard retires. And I was like, are you guys kidding me? Like, and you, no one even called me to ask me about this. Um, so I had that experience. And um, so after that, I sort of kept it really close to me. And I didn't speak about retirement for a year after the Commonwealth Games is when I actually made my retirement. I felt really good about that decision as well. And I would encourage other athletes to to do it that way rather than being forced to say, look, after these games, I'm going to retire. It's like it gave me a period to transition, to grieve the athlete part of me and to also mm-hmm. figure out what I was going to do next. And and so when people stopped me in the street, I could be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm doing this now. Yes, I retired, but I'm doing this versus what are you doing now? And being like, oh, I don't, I don't know. It's a hard yeah. thing to, yeah. So I had, I had power over their second announcement. Yeah. All right. We'll find out what Alexis did next uh, shortly. Stay with us on SCNZ. You're listening to Trailblazers. 
You're listening to Trailblazers on SCNZ with me, Ricky Swanell, and my special guest, Alexis Pritchard, who, uh, as we said, is an Olympic boxer, bronze medal from the Commonwealth Games. It does a whole lot more. And you said you wanted to have a new life or have something else that you wanted to go to when you retired from boxing. So you're a trained physio, obviously, and you're working that. But now you do a lot of work in kind of growth and mindset sort of performance stuff. So what actually is that? So. It's really, I find it difficult to explain sometimes. Um, but essentially, it's mental skills around performance. Whether you are an athlete, whether you are a leader, whether you are a teacher or a mum, like it's the skills that we need um, mentally and emotionally to navigate our lives and to uh, get out of our own way, essentially, so that we can achieve our goals and live into our dreams. Um, those are definitely skills that we're not taught in in school mm. situations. If your parents don't live by those things, they're not going to pass it on to you. Um, you can understand it like, you know, physical skills, we all understand. We understand that if we want to learn to box or to paint, we'll go to a, a coach that can teach us these things. Mental and emotional skills are skills that you don't just naturally pick up it is something that you need to be taught. And so that's what I do. I sit down with people in groups or individually and we go through a program to see where their gaps are, see how they navigate through tough emotional things, see how they navigate through obstacles. Um, what's your thought process on failure? Is it um, something that you hide away from or is it something that you go towards? Where's your comfort zone like? Um, do you run towards things that make you uncomfortable or do you hold back and and sit tight to try and protect yourself? Um, because ultimately we are the ones that hold ourselves back. Um, and learning about that sort of makes you then decide, actually, no, I want to be more. I want to try something more. I want to be more. Um, so that's what I do now. Are you finding that there is more demand for that. I, we kind of talk about people as business athletes as well, that they, they, they almost have to have an athlete mindset to get through some of the challenges that we are being faced with, particularly at the moment, but in, in general in life. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's more knowledge around it. It's slowly yeah. starting to seep into the rest of our society. Um, the idea that our brains can be trained and the idea that there is like a mental fitness aspect or that we can actually also change the way we think um, and that just because we think in a particular way now doesn't mean that we always have to think that way um, and that we can actually get out of our own way to be courageous and live into our dreams. Uh, there's definitely more conversations around that. There are more businesses um, and organizations that are starting to take this to be really important work. Um, and it also works into well-being um, and thinking about, you know, is my organization well? Are my people well? Are my people better people because better people makes better business doesn't it you know um better athletes make better results mm. is my view on it as well better you know even kids kids these are skills that kids need as well 
Um, yeah. There's definitely more conversations around it. People are still sort of like just dipping their toe into it, though. They haven't sort of really embraced it yet. But I think give us another five to ten years, it's going to be all the rage. <laughs> to 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 help people with them and their their own stuff and fun, you must have to dig and have or have done and continue to dig into yourself a lot to be be able to pass on those skills and advice and whatever. Yes, there's been a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness and most of this has come from the tough lessons of being in a boxing ring. Um, being in a boxing ring really asks the individual to face their demons and figure out how to overcome those demons. Um, you know, the, it's the those deep core things about not good enough, not lovable, not... Um, not worthy all those things come out in a boxing ring and you don't actually expect them to come out um when you see boxing from the outside you see this physical thing where people are hitting each other and you think oh this is such brutality like you know these people are um, neanderthals um but the the psyche of, of a boxer is far more than that. It's the mental and emotional component that we have to really work at. It's like, how do you control your emotions when someone is trying to come at you? So learning all those things. How do I control my emotions when I'm panicking and fearful? Um, how do I get myself out of this? Because I'm the only one in there. So all those lessons as, as an athlete and you know those would come out weekly because my coach, your coaches want to put you in uncomfortable positions on a weekly basis. Like figuring that out has absolutely helped me in in the real world outside of the boxing ring to to embrace being more and to embrace the idea that I used to think this way, but I've evolved and now I can think this way. Yeah. Do you do you ha do you have to absorb a lot of other people's crap basically that you know you're, you're taking a lot on your own shoulders to help other people no i i sort of leave it when the office door yeah. closes i tend not to take their crap but also you know the, i know that my scope of practice is not helping people with um big mental health things so if the right. if you have a big mental health issue you know depression and big anxiety stuff you know anything the medical diagnosis then then i'm not the person for you then we need right. to find you a psychologist or counselor or psychiatrist where for me it's it's helping people elevate themselves so rather than like dig them out of or bring them out of the hole um is the way i look at it so we also talk about like those things like where are you now what are actually the issues and how do we get you a little bit higher so I, I don't think that i really have those deep deep big big things um yes athletes do have to or people do open up and they do speak their truth um i have cried with my people in session but i i do know how to acknowledge that it's not my stuff it's their stuff and i do know how to put it down at the end of the day yeah hmm. Mm. So how do you relax and unwind and, and get away from work and life and boxing and all of that? Are you, what do you what do you do? I know you're a very busy lady. You've got a lot going on. I my the way to I'm a, an active relaxer. Um, okay. So, I mean, I, I think I'm a bit of both. 
I can't give myself labels. Let's not give myself labels. So, like, I love okay. exercise, love exercise, um, but I don't call it exercise anymore. I call it movement. So I, I'll walk, I'll run. I'll, I love the bush. I love nature. Um, so I go yeah. out as much as I can to a beach or the bush somewhere. I went rock climbing on the weekend out in Tea Point. Um, it was epic. It was outdoors, the wave, the wind, um, the sun, and then connecting with family and friends, the the ones that really know me and really get me, um, the ones that fill my cup up. So those connections. Um, reading, I'm back in. I'm back at reading. Um, when I moved to New Zealand, books were my only friends for the first year. Also, um, <laughs> I had no friends back then, um, or not many. Now I've I found my way back to reading. I am also quite creative. I I bake cakes and decorate them, and I'm a crafter. I do scrapbooking and card making. Yeah, Mrs. Morton, Mrs. Baru should be very proud of my calligraphy still. You live a interesting, diverse, brilliant life, and it's been so lovely to hear all about it. Thanks, Rick. It's been so fab to chat to you. Oh, we could do it again for hours, but thank you um, so much for your openness and, and having a chat, Alexis Pritchard. Thank you for being on Trailblazers. Thank you.